Captain Kirk. Fascinating. <laughs> I'm a doctor, not a mechanic. Thank you, thank you. Love you. Most illogical. I said. Well, that was different. Yep, rousy, but different. Places, please. And here we go. Welcome, ladies, gentlemen, excalbians, chickens and things, to episode 38 of the Muppet Trek Podcast. I'm Jarman. And I'm Steve. We're here to compare, contrast, and confer about our two favorite franchises in Jarman. What are those? Those are, of course, The Muppets and Star Trek. And we do one-to-one reviews of The Muppet Show and Star Trek, the original series. And this week, we have a doozy with Muppet Show special guest Peter Sellers in Star Trek, the original series episode, metamorphosis yes it's gonna be wonderful it is so steve tell us about who this guy peter sellers is so peter sellers was a british comedian actor and singer who who first came to fame as a member of the bbc radio show the goon squad which i had never heard of but i'm sure our british listeners are like yeah i grew up with that and later went on to do big films like lolita dr strange love and casino royale he eventually did a five-movie run as Inspector Clouseau in the Pink Panther movie franchise. Not to be confused with the new Pink Panther franchise, <laughs> which starred fellow season two Muppet Show host Steve Martin. Mm-hmm. Different thing. Not to be confused. <laughs> uh, but what does our new audience know him from? Probably the Pink Panther is the answer. Or the other movie. What's it called? You just mentioned it. Uh, Dr. Strange Loves yeah. Cena Royale Lolita. Strange yeah, Love is Strange Love is pretty well known, and, and like, especially if you're a film buff, it's like a must watch. It's pretty. He's pretty amazing in that too. Well, this week on the Muppet Show, Kermit introduces Peter Sellers, uh, playing a opening song, a Gypsy's Violin, a moody musical number that ends sort of in a fevered pitch, and it has a rare live animal. Not rare. We're seeing more and more live animals. Yeah, the there was Muppets, a goat, and this one was a goat. <laughs> Up next, we get Rolf. Playing when a lovely little tune about hating the sounds of nature. <laughs> uh, Rolf then accompanies Gonzo on the song Memory Lane, a sweet and sort of sad song strolling down memory lane without a ding dong thing on my mind. <laughs> After this, we get the link hogthrob getting uh, chi- like chiropractically adjusted by like a German doctor, Peter Sellers, with just a brilliant accent. It rules like a Nazi doctor. His bodies <laughs> twists his body in really unnatural ways. Kermit then comes out to tell the audience that the next act won't make it. And while lamenting slips into being green yeah, and goes from sort of performing on a box backstage to being a month's nature as he sings about the beauty of being green. Now my girlfriend uh, asked, he also did uh, in season one. Oh, he did in season one. Okay. Cause he did. I couldn't remember yeah. when he had done that last or first really. Uh, finally, we check in with Muppet labs where Bunsen honeydew says that he's invented a teleporter. Uh, Kermit comes out furious at him. He pushes Kermit into the teleporter, which teleports him away. And then he brings back Beaker and a gorilla and then sends them away and then brings back Kermit and a gorilla. (laughs) It gets really absurd. Uh, Fozzie does the final introduction, asking Peter Sellers to keep it short, uh, performing with an assortment of Civil War vets, kind of. Mm. Uh, Peter Sellers plays cigarettes and whiskey and wild, wild women. And I don't know why. But this may be my favorite musical number that I completely forgot about. Oh, it was great and really inappropriate for children audiences. <laughs> so inappropriate for children, but just well sung and performed and the drive, the boom, boom, 
you could feel it in the number. It felt like a sea shanty, which were very popular recently on TikTok. You know, like one of those sea shanty kind of oh, songs. Yeah. And like also just his accent. He did like a Southern American accent, and it sounded fantastic. And he's a it was fantastic. Yeah, it was wonderful. A backstage this week. The backstage plot surrounds centers on the fact that Doctor Bunsen Honeydew has created teleportation and just drives Kermit absolutely insane. <laughs> We do get a kind of nice visit with Peter in his dressing room with Kermit, where Peter is wearing Viking horns and says he's impersonating Queen Victoria. <laughs> it was very and surreal. And he had uh, he once had a real self, but he had it surgically removed. And I love that line. Playing chickens vigorously. It's very all insane. <laughs> uh, then Gonzo appears. Gonzo disappears. A bomb appears. Peter Sellers disappears. And Kermit is left there to blow up. <laughs> Uh, Kermit on the edge of losing it tells uh, when Fozzie comes out and tells him that the next act got murdered basically <laughs> during duck hunting season. Pretty terrible. Before then that final number. Kermit thanks Peter. Peter and a bunch of people teleport on and off stage and that is what we call the Muppet Show. Mm-hmm. Jarman, what did you think of this week's episode with, with Peter Sellers? I think he could be a Muppet. Like he just blends right in. <laughs> his songs were yeah. so wacky and out there and, and his things he said are so strange. Like he's even odder than Gonzo and he's just a wacko and I loved it. And he had great songs and great uh, costumes and he would stare into the Muppets eyes like they were a living creature and you were right oh, there with him it. and Link Hogthrob was so it was better than any talk spot as far as the oh way god that he was interacting with the puppet and the, going back to check in with the puppet <laughs> it's actually it's okay i can't do the accent now it's like that feel okay and he's like oh check yes touch. this is very it's good almost marvin the martian kind of <laughs> sort of it was like i just feel like some cartoon nazi doctor from like the looney tunes oh, but oh man. yeah it was just even well, though it, looked, it, like, it kind of reminded me of uh mel brooks's cameo in the first muppet movie Oh, did he play like, like a, a little bit? Remember, he played the like weird German doctor who tries to wipe Kermit's memory. With, like, Vaguely. Yes, they do. <laughs> oh, man. We'll review that at some point. We will. But I will say like this, even though there wasn't a, like a lot of through line plot going on, it just felt like a fun ride. And none of it was boring. I really, really enjoyed this episode. Yeah, I, I have mixed feelings about this episode because I agree. Peter Sellers was just a great host. The music was good. None of the songs dragged on too long. But at the same time, this episode was missing any of the staples that we would come to expect. That's true. If anything, this kind of felt like an early season one episode. There was no news blast. There was no veterinary hospital. No at the dance. Mm. No pigs in space. Um, Which yeah, personally, well, I'm, I'm fine with it, not having you know one or, one or some of them, but it's strange they didn't have any of them. That's true. Right, and in that way, I think it feels like one of those early experimental episodes from season one when they didn't quite know what to do. Yeah, and funny results, but yeah, there wasn't funny results. Cohesive. This week it worked, but I think only because Peter Sellers and no uh, Fozzie doing a stand-up act either. No, no, closest we got were the few bits with Kermit and him doing the introduction. Mm-hmm. So yeah, unusual in that sense, but really fun. And once you guys get Disney Plus in uh, March, you can watch this. Please make this one of your top. Along with Potter, Peter Yusinov. <laughs> Uh I think, yeah, P- uh, cigarettes. Like, I still have cigarettes and whiskey stuck in my head. And he says cigarettes Dude, weird. How that- do you say it? Cigar- cigarettes and whiskey. <laughs> and wild, wild and women. Wild, wild women. <laughs> it was really fun. Yeah. Um, I got stuck in my head. 
<laughs> so music this week, a gypsy's violin by humorist writer and radio performer, Abe Burroughs. He became known as Hollywood script doctor, basically to the point where for decades, get me an Abe Burroughs was apparently code for, I needed to get that somebody who needed a script reworked so heavy. Kind of like what Carrie Fisher did later on in her career, right? Right. Get me an Abe Burroughs. Gotcha. Uh, the song, when this is another Abe Burroughs song, oh. uh, his son is, James Burroughs, a TV director known for shows such as Laverne and Shirley, Night Court, Wings, Frasier, Friends, Third Rock from the Sun, Two and a Half Men, and Two Broke Girls. Oh, wow. Up to that recently. Yeah. Memory Lane, another Abe Burroughs song. Jeez. Uh, he had his own radio show, but his sponsor, Lambert Pharmaceuticals, the, they were the then makers of Listerine, who were pushing a new toothpaste. And then they got mad at Abe because his audience wasn't buying any toothpaste. <laughs> what? Like his sponsors got mad with him because they really invested in him. And then he didn't sell toothpaste. <laughs> uh, being green. This is the second time this was performed, as I mentioned. Uh, the first time was in season one uh, for the Pete Ustinoff episode. The oh. last Pete. And I think the last time we maybe very similar episodes in that really the host carried and the host could have been a Muppet. That's true. That's weird. And they both featured Easy Being Green. Being Green. That's and that, crazy. And that first season episode with him, that was the first time that song was performed, or was it on a talk show before? No, I think it had either been on talk shows, probably The Muppet Show at some point, if I had to guess. Mm. I, I could look it up, but I'm not going to. <laughs> uh, Cigarettes and Whiskey by Tim Spencer of country group Sons of the Pioneers. Uh, he was a founding member, along with Roy Rogers, who you know. Ah, there you go. Yeah, cigarettes Happy and trails to you. That's where Rogers' song, I think. So, Dermot, what did you think was the best Muppeteering moment this week? All right. So, this is a little bit of a inside thing into what's going on right now. I'm currently filming a short film very carefully during the pandemic. And uh, mm -hmm. it, the, just knowing how difficult it is to do those teleportations so perfectly, it, even though it's not necessarily Muppeteering, it's just the craft of the show was done very well. The fact that all those disappearing teleports look so nice. And this is before any kind of uh, CGI stuff, mind you. So they had to do that all with in-camera tricks and people had to stay very still. You move them up and out and then you continue. And it looks pretty seamless throughout. So I was just oh, very, yeah. as a filmmaker, very impressed with that. That was pretty awesome. Oh, yeah. I mean, Jim was always such a huge proponent of that. The old tricks were the good tricks. They really are. And when done well they lived up to a lot of the newer techniques mm -hmm. done well is the key there. Yeah. Right. Done well. Uh, my favorite, I've got two kind of, and one of it is just, I, I, I like the show, but I can't think of a lot of times where I have like a burst out loud laughter moment. Mm -hmm. And I had one this episode and it was right in that first musical number, uh, gypsy's violin. Pete Usnoff comes out and introduces this gypsy character and he goes, do you all have any requests? And the first Muppet goes, yeah, but you are going to play anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't hear that. <laughs> I, I burst, I burst out laughing. Like I, it caught me off guard because there's not that much hard wit in the Muppet. Um, I don't know why, but my so humor really good. did the same thing with that. When he said, uh, I had myself surgically removed or whatever. That would just made me crack yeah, up too. I laughed I out loud. Surgically removed. <laughs> Uh, and then my other favorite was just uh, one of those camera tricks that you're talking about Gonzo in memory lane, where he does the kind of like he walks across stage kind of, 
but then he goes under the camera so you can't see him and he walks across frame again. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I then see finally, that. in the last one, he comes across and pushes Rolf and his piano across <laughs> frame. I did see that. That was and great. It was just clean and cute and filled the musical, that musical interlude in a way that if he had just danced, would have been kind of lame in that long of a. That's true. A shot. So by filling it with this bit, it just made it great. Those are some great moments. Uh, German, tell us about this week's episode of Star Trek, the original series. All right. So this week we have the episode Metamorphosis, which is pretty important in Star Trek canon, whether you like the episode or not. All right. Mm -hmm. So first we have a very agitated and ornery Federation commissioner, Nancy Hedford, who's yelling at everyone. Um, She's being taken by shuttlecraft to the Enterprise to be treated for Sukaro's disease, which is a very rare and deadly disease. But one in billions, really. <laughs> I know. I should have been vaccinated for this. Um, but it can easily be treated once she's on board the Enterprise. They seem to get her there pretty quickly. So on the shuttlecraft are Kirk, Bones, and Spock, and of course, Commissioner Hedford. Suddenly they are overtaken in space by some kind of moving energy field, and it forces them down to a nearby planetoid and makes their ship completely inoperable. Like just turns off all the electronics. Uh, once they land safely, they are greeted by a very excited man. Hello. <laughs> he won't exactly he like runs from across, <laughs> yes. the, from across the world to find them. Exactly. Somebody's here. Um, he's very friendly, very excited to, to meet them, but he won't tell them about what's going on or where he came from until they come back to his house. He's like, ah, oh, we got all the time in the world. Come on back. But he did say he was marooned there. So eventually, once they're back at his house, Kirk gets tired of waiting for a proper explanation. And he sees that commissioner Hedford is getting worse. So he forces the man to explain himself, and he finds out that he's the long-lost Zephram Cochran, who is thought to have disappeared in space 150 years ago. And he was the creator of Warp Flight, very famous, and once he aged a lot and was about to die, he wanted to go out and die in space. But when he was out in space, about to die, this planetoid sent out that weird energy being and saved him, brought him back to health, and also brought him back to like 35 years old. And he's been stuck there for 150 years, trapped on the planet with this entity, which he now calls the Companion. And uh, Steve knows Zephyr Cochran very well because I think you'd recorded an episode of the Temporal Trek podcast <laughs> all about him in a movie, right? Yeah, that's right. Uh, I was on the Halloween episode of the Temporal Trek podcast that hasn't come out yet. <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> There's a lot man, of production that goes I'm out. I'm still very excited. In that I'm podcast. Still very excited. Check it out, people, Not though. Not only that. So I don't know what happened, but I was supposed to, to, to show up and I get there and they were already recording. No. So it's probably going to be like a three hour episode. <laughs> <laughs> probably. Check it out. We get into Zephyr Cochran real hard. And we'll talk more about him towards the trivia section here. All right. So uh, he's grown to have affection for the companion as well. Um, but he complained to the companion that he would die of boredom and loneliness. So the companion, that's why the companion pulled down the shuttlecraft with Kirk and the crew on it so they could be his friends and he wouldn't die. Uh, Spock and Bones find a way to possibly disable the entity by shorting it out because they can tell it's made of electricity partially. It doesn't work, and it just basically has the entity getting pissed off and beating them up. So Kirk then decides that he'll try to communicate with the entity. And he should have tried that first, but, you know, whatever, by using a modified version of the Universal Translator. And they do so, and they find out that the companion talking through a feminine voice through their translator loves Cochrane and wants him to stay with her and be happy forever. Um, and Kirk tries to logic her out of it by saying that Cochran will cease to be if he doesn't have his freedom because humans. It was almost like when he tries to trick a computer. It was oh, yeah. so close to when he tries to trick a computer. He tried to talk it to death, not realizing it wasn't a computer. <laughs> uh, but he finally convinced her that she can never truly love Cochran when she, since she isn't human and that she should let them all go. 
And so meanwhile, Commissioner Hedford is her conditions worsening. She's about to die. But she hears that Cochran is enraged that he finds out the companion was female and that it loved him. And he's grossed out. He thinks it's somehow wrong that some kind of alien entity loves him and wants to be his lover. Um, and Hedford's distraught by this because she's never known love. And she can't believe Cochran would just have it and throw it away. I mean, how terrible that is. And thus, a perfect situation is born. The companion needs to be human to understand love. And Hedford has never been loved and is envious of it. So the companion takes partial control of Hedford's body and they cohabitate in her body and saves her life in the process. But uh, now she, as a consequence, she no longer has her powers as this entity and she'll live out a normal life. And she can't keep Cochran alive forever either. He'll start to age regularly as well. But Cochran is so impressed with her sacrifice that for him that she decides that he loves her after all and decides to stay with her on the planet. Uh, for if she leaves the planet too long, she would die immediately, apparently. So Kirk tries to convince him to go with him to see the new world 150 years in Cochran's future. But Cochran refuses and tells Kirk and the crew not to tell anyone that they found him there so that no one will find out Cochran's still alive. So that is the episode Metamorphosis. What did you think about it, Steve? Um, the episode itself, um, I agree. It was cool to see. I knew that Zephyr and Cochran was in one of these episodes somewhere because mm-hmm. I had read it at some point when we were doing our review for First Contact, maybe. Gotcha. Um, but I didn't know it was this one. So it was kind of nice to have that surprise that, oh, this oh, yeah. is the one. And it was cool to see something I had more context to because besides maybe Khan. Mm-hmm. Um, from Space Seed, I don't know if I have any contacts to any of these other things we're going to see. So it was nice to, f- to have a hook finally. Yeah, there's very little um, that connects to other episodes in the original series. I thought the visual of the entity and the the way that the planet was made up was maybe one of their most successful set hmm. decorations Interesting. Like ever, in the show thus far. I was really impressed for whatever reason with this specific one. Things that that were maybe rough. It is so strong. It is so rare for them to show a a a strong female guest character mm-hmm. on Star Trek. They do occur, but it's mostly women there to like swoon over Kirk in some way. <laughs> yep. And for her to start so strong, she was such a great strong opening character. Like her just buffooning. Um, bones, which was great. It was just great. But then for her to literally fall to pieces as she got sick, and then with the love thing, yeah, took all of that and was like, "Wow, they undid it all. Good job, guys. You made a great, strong female character, and then you wiped her away with femininity." I just want love. I want to be loved. God, shut up. <laughs> but she was so good up front that it made it that much more disappointing when she fell off. That's true. I mean, she was kind of like frustratingly angry, but she was also like really smart and really accomplished, you know, so she was she was and you know why they had to get her back because she was going to go negotiate a war. And then at the end of the episode, Kirk even says, well, what are we going to do now with the Regis five and their war? Yeah, we'll find some other woman to take care of it. That's what he said. (laughs) It was terrible. Uh, That was my other issue. A woman had basically had to die to make the plot happen. (laughs) And at the end, they flippantly muse about preventing a major war. Mm -hmm. It is out of character kind of for them. What? This is weird. I will say I really like the actor Cochran. I thought he was really good and very gentle performance, which is weird from like a male in the 60s, you know, like. Oh yeah, he was very sensitive. I mean, some. Oh man, some of their guests chew, just chew. Oh yeah, 
And they're always like, hey, Garuff, talk like this because I'm a man in the 60s. <laughs> you know, it's like That's right. he was just nice and sweet and innocent kind of. It was interesting. Um, but, yeah, I also would say that it's strangely uh, parallels uh, issues of trans rights these days because we've seen it on screen many times. You might have seen it in person when you see a man find out that a woman that he's into is actually a trans woman. And suddenly this bigotry and disgust pops its ugly head. And it's like you you still fell for this person. Like you just because now you found out that they're trans. Right. That shouldn't Crying matter. Game. Crying game. Exactly. And so the same thing in this was basically he finds out this thing that loves him or loves is actually an, an alien that's is actually in love with him. It's kind of similar feeling there. That kind of bigotry. And even and Spock points that, it he out too. He turns himself into the victim. Yeah. She took advantage like, of me. How could I be used like that? Yeah. But Scott, Spock even says that he's like, that attitude is so outdated, basically, is what he was saying. He's like, huh, fascinating how he's a bigot. You know, like that. It was just really interesting. Uh, uh, something else that I, I liked this episode that I'm going to start looking for. Uh-huh. So in one of the Star Trek movies, there is an implication that Scotty and Ahura are in a romantic entanglement. Right. I can't remember which one it is. I think it's four or maybe five. I forgot, too. One of those. Yeah. But she like brings him spaceships and he calls her Lassie and he like caress cheeks. Mm-hmm. It was and odd. never talk about it again. So I realized we don't get to see them interact often. So now I'm going to watch anytime we get to see them actually interact to see mm. if there's like sexual tension. It's a good idea. <laughs> and they had a scene together in this episode. And so it was I a little hard and maybe. But it was more testy than anything. And it was a little friendly, though. It wasn't like very prof- – it wasn't totally professional. It was like a little casual in their conversation. I don't know. Yeah. It's interesting. You're right. So, I, so I've decided that for the rest of this, the original series, I'm going to watch <laughs> to see if there was any sign that these two were going to hook up. Oh, now I am too. That's fascinating. Because Maybe then they, this yeah. is the long lost romance that no one saw coming and we all just underwrote it. Because, of course, in the JJ movies, they push Spock and Uhura being the, the thing, which I thought was odd. But okay, it worked. Yeah. Well, anyways, are we ready for some trivia? Damn right. Some of it is very related to what you said about the set, which I thought was really cool. Ooh. Um, so what's interesting you said about the set is that uh, that first shot where we see Cochran running to the crew from far away, they had to do that because it was actually a fairly small set. They used a wide angle lens to make it look like he was farther away through like camera tricks. And they had to put these like rocks on the edges of the frame so you couldn't tell that it was the literal edge of the set. Um and apparently, you can still see a little bit of the black at the top of the frame where the set ends at one of the shots, but I didn't get to see that. Huh. But also, the set was so small that they had to film all of the scenes with Cochran and the companion. You know, they were standing across from each other and then completely redress the set once those scenes were all filmed to have Cochran's house for the flip side of the shot. So it was the same exact wow. space, but they just flipped every. They flipped. They basically just redressed it and then shot again. So there wasn't actually a place they could walk from the house to that area, which is fascinating. <laughs> um, what's cool is that uh, the Hedford Commissioner Hedford was portrayed by Eleanor Donahue, who was known for the 1950s sitcom Father's no- Father Knows Best, and she played actresses Jane Wyatt, Jane Wyatt's daughter. And on the next episode, we're going to watch Jane Wyatt guest stars playing Spock's mother, Amanda. Which is interesting. So if they had two Father's Knows Best characters on two episodes in a row. Back to back. Yeah. And a number of the scenes had to be reshot <clears throat> after flaws were found in the film stock during post-production. So the reshoot involved calling back actors and rebuilding sets, which had already been struck. And Whoa. she also Donahue had gotten pneumonia right before these reshoots and lost 10 pounds, which is a lot on her already tiny frame. So that first shot where she's wearing a scarf for some reason, it's because they're trying to cover up her neck and show where she looks super skinny and like sickly. Uh, but anyways, I thought that was wow. fascinating behind the scenes stuff there. 
So we got any Trek uh, connections here? Trek Muppet oh, connections? Oh boy. Simon Pegg, who played Scotty in the rebooted Kelvin timeline Star Trek universe, won many awards for his film Shaun of the Dead, including the Peter Sellers Award for Comedy. Oh. <laughs> okay, so there was a French show, like a play called Le Idiot. Literally, it's Le Idiot. Interesting. Which got an English adaptation called A Shot in the Dark, which ran on Broadway and, Heard of that. and had William Shatner in it. Ah, okay. Then they took the Broadway play and they tried to adapt it into a movie. But they took William Shatner's character and they changed it to uh, Inspector Clouseau and put Peter Sellers in it and made it like a Pink Panther movie. Was it an actual Pink Panther movie or just like a knockoff Pink Panther movie? They took this existing script and they changed it into a Pink Panther movie. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> and it, the show was one that Shatner was in on Broadway. <laughs> That's quite the connection. <laughs> uh, Eleanor Donahue, uh, who you played Nancy Hedford, as you mentioned, um, also appeared on uh, an episode of The Love Boat. Of course. And as I established, everybody... <laughs> including many, many Muppet Show guest hosts, was on the love boat. Everyone was on the love boat. Everybody <laughs> I was on, was on the love the boat. Love boat. Um, so yeah, those are my, my track connections this week. <laughs> that was amazing. So some similarities between these episodes, which are exactly the same, uh, I have that both have someone disappearing and reappearing, the teleporting Muppets, and the uh, disappearing and appearing companion creature. Okay. okay. Yeah, like yeah. That. it's loose, but you know, <laughs> uh, both Kirk and Kermit are plagued by things they don't understand. Except from Cochrane and the entity, and people teleporting around. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Uh, both have an entity who has no true self. Sellers uh, backstage when he says he removed his true self uh, uh, surgically, and the companion who is just energy. <laughs> All right, fair. Uh, the entity treats Zephram like a toy, quote unquote. Just like Peter Sellers treats Link Hogthrob like a Stretch Armstrong doll. <laughs> I almost did that one, actually. That's amazing. Oh, That's right. what's that noise? <gasps> oh, my God. Transporter malfunction. Transporter malfunction. All right. It's the part of the show where we transport one character from one of the episodes to the other episode and vice versa. So what do you have for us, Steve? Uh, this week, Trick to Muppets, I've got the entity coming over. And being the thing that scares Kermit repeatedly backstage. <laughs> I need Kermit to live. <laughs> um, I have Peter Sellers coming over to play the companion. Because if he was the companion, Cochran would never have been bored. And he would have been happy to stay there for eternity. <laughs> okay, that's good. From Muppets to, to Trek, I've got Gonzo coming over. Because he is always so sad and lonely. I think being trapped on an alien planet loved by an entity for all eternity would literally be his best day. Oh yeah. I mean, if he loves having chickens, love him, he'll love having an entity. Love him. That's great. Right. right, right. I just, I just think that Gonzo would just fit this scenario so well. That makes a lot of sense. Um, I had a little loose one here. Uh, Cochran as Kermit, he would come over and take over as Kermit because he okay. would never be bored again with all the hijinks of the Muppets and would be overjoyed at even the bad things happening. Uh, he wouldn't get pissed off like Kermit. He'd just be like, I have people again. Oh, that's company. Right. That, that sweet innocence. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so I think that brings us to the end of episode 38 of the Muppet Trek podcast. That's right. Join us next time for The Muppet Show with special guest Elton John. And original series episode, Journey to Babel. So from the lovers, the dreamers, 
And us. Live long and prosper, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Muppet Trek Podcast. Be sure to follow us on social media on Facebook and Twitter. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. This podcast has been brought to you by A Play on Nerds. <laughs>